Hey, g'day there, Mark LaBusk here for the Simply Practically Human podcast. My guest today is the personal branding coach, Carly Lyon, who's based in Sydney, Australia. And um, we're going to have a conversation about all sorts of things like being liked is overrated and positional and personal influence, branding and why, why we're not as bold as we should be. So have a listen. Carly is an amazing human being with lots and lots of energy and a vulnerability that's quite unique. So take some notes and we'll catch you at the end of the episode. Life can get pretty complicated. In the Simply Practically Human podcast, Mark LaBusque talks to incredible humans to see the way forward more clearly through the complexity in the world and in our heads. Let's get ready to thrive. I am delighted to be joined today by Carly Lyon, who is a personal branding coach coming to us from Sydney, Australia. Carly, thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Mark. It's so great to be here. Let's just start with connections here because the thing that I love about LinkedIn, but also just love about human beings is you came across my work through a a client of yours and you reached out and now we're having a conversation. And I just think there's so much power in in building those connections and reaching out to people. What 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 do you think about that? Oh, I mean, 100%. It's the premise of, of personal branding and the, the work that I do and creating the power of creating a network and the beauty of that digital synchronicity where you just never know who you're going to come across. You never know what opportunities are going to open up. And being brave enough to reach out and at least ask the question of, is there something here? Can we have a conversation? Is there an opportunity? I just think it's, yeah, the world has really opened up as a result of technology and it's exciting. It's it's using technology for good. So you you get to go yeah. first here, by the way. Um, oh, first impressions. So you get to share your, and, and look, people think sometimes, she's your self-indulgent LaBusque, but I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a real strong view that it's important that we share our first impressions yeah. with other people of what we thought because those things can change yeah. over time. What were your first impressions? This is the first time we've met, by the way, your first impressions yes. of, um, of of Mark LaBusque. So my first impressions were absolutely down to earth, honest, generous, and just open-minded. Lovely. People are always very polite to me in this. I haven't ever had anyone ever say, we thought you were a (laughs) knuckle-dragging oxygen thief, Mark, but uh, maybe one day there'll be someone who'll do that. Um, Now, now I get my turn now. Um, There's this real strength about you, and I I call it, just from the images that I see, there's this, I call it a quiet strength. I don't know why, but um, there's that engaging. You're very engaging, and and, and you're going to say generous as well because you, you offer a lot of yourself to others on on the LinkedIn platform. And you think you've got a real strong awareness of self and also an ability to then use that to provoke other people to think about themselves. So they're the things that I've picked up about you. Thank you. I love that you start your podcast that way because it's actually one of the things I get a lot of my, not only my one-on-one clients to do, but also when I go and speak, we do an exercise called speed summating and I get them to stand up and they have to pair up and they sum each other up in three words. And it's a really interesting exercise to do because you're right. We, we're often unsure or completely unaware of what our first impressions that we're giving other people are. So yep. it's interesting, but thank you. They are lovely. No, it's uh, my, my pleasure. I think it's, I think it's important that we put that stuff mm. out there because we can get it. We can come off there going, 
I wonder what Carly thought of me. Or Carly's like, I wonder what Mark <laughs> thought. Well, let's just let's just put it out there. I put actually there. I actually play a game in my program and the first thing that people in the room get to do is play a game called judging Mark and they have to judge me on five really random <laughs> things. But it gives people a chance to, in a safe way, I think, Carly, share with other people what yeah. what, what they thought. So um, yeah. and, and this is yeah, I love that. a lot about branding here. Hey, um, yeah, I love it. we're going to talk about branding today. We're also going to talk about some other things, the need to be liked or we like to be liked. And then perhaps uh-huh. we'll talk a bit about perhaps at times people like you because they can get something out of you or you're the flavor yeah. of the month. And then all of a sudden, and I, and I say this with great respect, we go from the penthouse to the shithouse pretty quickly and all of a sudden <laughs> yeah. no one wants to hang out yeah. with us. So that's sort of where we're going to go. But, but I'm also fascinated about you and your backstory because, again, you share some really good things on, um, on, on LinkedIn. I've seen some things you've shared about your mum and other bits and pieces. Tell us yeah. a bit about your backstory, um, where you grew up and what got you into this work. Oh, okay. So the beginning of the backstory, and t- I'll touch on this quickly, was my parents were teenagers when they had me. Yep. So they were kids having kids. And we went from the west to the north. So my my parents actually started in a caravan when I was first born and then worked extremely hard to get us over to the North Shore, which was a more affluent suburb. And I ended up going through private school to be then expelled in year 10 because me and a school run by nuns was never going to be the right environment. Uh, so I uh, I said to my dad, I don't want to go back to school. You know, I've had enough of it. And he said, well, if you don't want to go to school, you have to go and get a job. So I left, left the house and went up to our local shops, got a job as a hairdresser and did that for three years. But that, Mark, was really just a way to fund a party-going existence. Nice. And I often share the story that one morning, this was in my late teens now, I was having a cigarette for breakfast and I thought, "Mm, this isn't really the right path. Uh, So I decided to make a change, ended up going and living at a health retreat for two months to do an internship program there. And it wasn't just a go and get pampered and eat well retreat. It was go and get pampered, eat well, but do a lot of deep psychological and spiritual work. And this retreat was really exclusive. It attracted, you know, high net worth, burnt out executives, celebrities, athletes, and it was an incredible experience. And as a teenager, just so formative. Yeah. Uh, So I came back as an aspiring wellness guru and one of those people you don't want to sit next to at a dinner party. Oh, why are you eating that? Oh, you're drinking alcohol. How dare you? You know, all of that. <laughs> Is this the person that was having a ciggy for breakfast at some yes, stage? exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I mean, that changed my life. And I wanted to somehow get into the health and wellness game. And through a whole series of synchronicities, I found myself in the office of the managing director of Hay House, which is the publishing house that bring out a lot of wellness speakers, Deepak Chopra, et cetera. And Leon Naxon, who today is a dear friend and mentor, said to me, you should be in PR. I think you'd be really good at it. And that was it. I signed up for college and found, again, I obviously don't do well with authority because I found my professors boring. So I just started my business. And within six months, I had my first three clients and it ended up paying off. Nice. 
So that was the beginning of a 15-year-long journey representing high-profile individuals from all over the world. I love the boldness of I just went and started up my job. I'm a big, um, I would say anti-authority, but I find it hard. Mm -hmm. I brush up against authority quite a bit. What was the health retreat that you went to? Can you share the name of that? Yeah. Camp Eden. Yeah, nice. So it's still there today. I haven't been there. I mean, this was over 20 years ago now. I believe it's very different today. And I obviously don't want to put it out there because I haven't been there. But when I went there, it was really, really strict. And like I said, it was a lot of spiritual and psychological work. I'm not sure if they still have that same program. Gotcha. So 15 years in that running that business of yours and you said yep. working with high profile people. Where where what sort of places did that take you around the world? I lived in Singapore for a short period of time. One of my clients was a, a wellness and spa magazine and they wanted me to broker a lot of their relationships, which meant me traveling and going to spas, Mark. It was really difficult. Oh, bad luck. Really hard. Yeah, I know. Uh, then also New York. I ended up living in New York for a few years when I was representing Miranda. And then just working around the world. So I'd some of my clients, I did their PR in Asia and then New Zealand. So just took me everywhere. London. Yeah, it was, it was an exciting time. And as a 20-year-old or in your 20s, it was just such a great industry to be in. Yeah. If you look back on that now, if you're looking back as you are today, what are some of the lessons that you learned through that time? Maybe you didn't you didn't pick them up at the time, but some things that you learned mm. along the way. Mm. What was interesting, so I, I mentioned to you, I started my journey from the perspective of wanting to get into PR to help raise the profile of wellness and personal development. And that was my, a lot of my clients centered in that space. And so I was very much still living and breathing the values of the personal development industry. And it was a big part of who I was and it continued to be. But what was interesting was when I started representing Miranda and went more into that fashion and celebrity side of things, I did for a short period of time, lose sight of that connection to that wellness and personal development, doing that spiritual work, even though Miranda very much is synonymous with that. But I think what happened was I got to this point where I thought, oh, wow, I'm representing this high profile, really high profile celebrity. And it got, it went to my head, quite frankly. Uh, So the big lesson in that was, and I talk about it often, is don't get too caught up in that positional influence piece Mm. because it is external to you. Yep. So Miranda, it's Miranda Kerr, yeah? Yes. Yeah, there you go. And look, anyone listening to this, I think could relate to that, that you're you're living in this, to some people, to be almost like an unreal world. Yes. And then you get a bit romanced by it and you start yes. to move a little way from away from your values. And that was more of a, I guess, we're going to talk about um, being liked. And, yes. and, you know, you talk at times about being like this overrated. And there's some conditional and unconditional parts that, that come to that. Yeah. So talk about that a bit. The idea of how does one differentiate between being liked conditionally mm. or being liked unconditionally? Yeah. And this was something I've written about extensively is when I went on extended maternity leave. So here I was representing these high profile individuals, you know, being invited to all these events. Everyone wanted to know me. I felt so popular. 
I could call up any editor anywhere and say, you know, hi, it's Carly Miranda Kerr's publicist, and I I get in immediately. So I really felt the rush of that. And then I went on extended maternity leave, and it was like <laughs> I just heard crickets, and yeah. the, suddenly the people that you know, wanted to always have lunch and wanted to go to events and do all of these things together and were emailing me often, it was like they just scattered and disappeared. And that was a massive learning curve for me because I had convinced myself that, oh, they really like me, they really value me, they really feel that I'm important, but it was really what I could do for them. And I'm not bitter or jaded in regards to that. I think there's just a reality that comes with that. But I think it's such an important life lesson because many of us, Mark, will go through periods where we might be in a particular role and we feel like we've got this high flying, everyone likes us, everyone knows us, but it it has more to do with the role than anything else. And we lose sight of then the people who actually are in our life because they just love us and like us unconditionally and want us to spend time with them just because we are who we are, irrespective of what we do. And I think a lot of people learn that toward the end of their life. As you were talking then, I, my mind was going back to the schoolyard. Yeah. And, you know, one day you're in and the next day you're not in and then the day yeah, after you're, ba- you're back in again. So can you remember any times back in the schoolyard where you were caught up in this as well, or were you more the the rebellious one? Yeah. Well, I was more the rebellious one. And I think that was my way of protecting myself was to come across as strong and potentially even bordering on being the bully, which I find interesting because my natural, I believe anyway, my natural instinct is to want to look after someone and to take care of someone and to be nice to someone. But my defenses at that point in my life, when you're so confused about everything, was to be more the rebel and the bully. And that was how I won friends and influence. Mm, interesting. I'm, I'm sure people are listening to this and, and having some flashbacks into that, <laughs> yeah, those times. I know even time. with my two daughters who are now 24 and 27, like particularly, and I saw it more with the girls than, than Sam, my boy, but like one day they were in and next day they weren't yeah. in and, and the impact that it had. And then let's think about that today. Yeah. Like they didn't, well, they did have social media. We didn't. When I went in the school yeah. late 70s, early 80s, you talked before about the idiosyncrasy, the good side of the digital stuff um, yeah. and technology. What about these days with the dark side of it? What? Because it's not, I'm not just talking about school kids now. This happens to everybody, doesn't it? Oh, 100%. It's cancel culture. Yep. So as much as we're connecting more, there still seems to be this disconnection in the sense that those people are still numbers. They're not necessarily real because we haven't actually met them. We haven't put a name, face, voice, story to who they are. So we can still very much interact with them from a distance. And you know, it shocks me, especially on a platform like LinkedIn, where all of your commentary is actually stored and showed, displayed, excuse me, on your profile. So if you're on there and speaking nastily to other people, it's coming up on your profile. And then it's also then 
in the feed of everyone who you're following that you've put out this nasty commentary. I, I find it fascinating. And I'm not really sure what I would recommend, especially to kids, about how to deal with digital bullying. I feel completely unqualified talking to that because it there's just so many layers to it and it is very scary. Uh, with adults, you would think and hope we have more of an ability to rationalize it and to separate ourselves from it and to recognize that when you're putting yourself out there, it would be crazy to think that everyone's going to like it, everyone's going to agree with it. And a, a dear client of mine, Dr. Martini, would always say that if everyone is liking you, then you're playing too small of a game. Yeah. You'll always have an equal balance of support and challenge. I think that makes sense. I talk about the three Ds. I say we've got disciples, we've got doubters, and we've got detractors, and we need them all. Yeah. But, but we tend to want to hang around the people that blow smoke up our backsides. And then yeah. I, I think that we end up in a situation, Carly, where I think we start to believe our own bullshit too much. Yes. Or oh, true. that's actually a safety mechanism that, that thing you said we like to be liked. Yeah. My sense, again, with you is, is you talked about this before, just about being bold and boldness when, when you're looking at branding. And, and one thing I've found along the way is that I don't think human beings are bold enough Mm. about themselves. So, you know, when I started my business, I called it my name and people were like, you're a dickhead. Like, yes. you know, look at you and you haven't got any business. And and I think it's yeah. the best decision I made. But let me tell you, at the time yeah. I was shitting myself going, this could be the worst decision of all time because people will be like, well, what do you actually do, mate? What are you yeah. selling? I'm interested in your thoughts around why is it that humans, like you do a lot of work with people who I'm sure you're wanting them to be bold. Why is it that they're reticent to step into their boldness around who they really are and who they want to be? Yeah. Well, firstly, I just want to give you full credit for going out and doing it under your name because that's often, if not always, what I recommend to my clients is to really build that goodwill in your own personal name as opposed to creating a business name and then potentially five years down the track going, you know what, this doesn't resonate anymore, so I think I'm going to change that. And what I've also learned, Mark, personally and vicariously through my clients is it's often the people on the sidelines who are sitting there going, oh, you're such a wanker. Oh, what do you, who do you think you are? They're the ones that are actually so afraid to put themselves out there and they'll always remain in the safety zone because of that. So when someone like you has enough courage to do it, it actually makes them feel really uncomfortable within themselves that they yep. are not able to do that themselves. So that Firstly, I just wanted to say that in terms of why we're not bold enough, I think it's just a case of wanting so desperately to fit in. And yeah. if you do enough reading, which I absolutely know you have done, there is a lot of very primal reasons and genetic reasons why we want to stay in the pack and we still want to be part of the social group and accepted and this idea of being bold and standing out and potentially resulting in us being ostracized from our friends and family, it sparks something really deep in us that's scary. And I just believe if we do enough work, we can get through that because what's interesting is whilst it might mean that initially certain people will ostracize you and they will 
you know, not want to be around you. I think you go through this dark vortex of that, of accepting yourself. But when you come out the other end, you're more in a position to attract the people that you really do want to be around that actually are your genuine tribe, as opposed to trying to fit into somewhere where you don't belong. Thanks for sharing it. Thank you for the um, little coaching tip there as well, because um, you know, <laughs> my pleasure. I, I think more people should do it. By the way, and I also know why they don't, because they're actually scared shitless at what people will think. And we are a social species; we crave a sense of yes. belonging. And if we don't, the worst thing for, for someone would be, what if they don't like me anymore and I don't belong to my little tribe? And I like them. What you said is, yeah. I actually think it helps you to find the tribe that you really should be hanging out with. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And look, I'm going to take a plunge and, and suggest that you might be over 35, Mark. Is that correct? Uh, I'm, I'm actually five Olympics over 35, <laughs> okay. so I'm actually 55, yes. Okay, so all of my clients are 40 plus and they typically have come through the corporate arena. They're all well-established, they're all extremely credible, but they've gone through that corporate training of thinking, it's not about you, it's about the brand. Yep. And that's why, like you said, a lot of people want to do it, but they're scared shitless, so they create this business name, so they've still got this thing that's outside of them that it's not me, it's the business. And I think that's why the vast majority of people are afraid to do it, and it's the people that you and I are interacting with Uh, which tend to be over 40 because we've grown up through that era of it's not who you are, it's what you do. We're now coming into this space of it is more about who you are and who you are as an individual. That's why when I run my workshops, Carly, we don't go around the room and people recite two minutes of their CV because to be really (laughs) honest with you, I couldn't give a shit about all that stuff. What I want to know is... Your parents were young when they had you and you started in a caravan and you were smoking cigarettes for breakfast and, like, that's the cool stuff to go, now I get a sense of of the rebellious Carly who's who's had that streak in her forever and it's really helped you to to be successful. What changes for people? I told you we'd go, we wouldn't follow the sheet. What is it that changes in a – is it midlife crisis? Is it something else? What is it that changes in people at that sort of age of, you know, the – the, the 40s and above where they go, I'm looking in the mirror at someone and I'm going, yeah. that's not even me anymore. What, yeah. what, what changes in people? I think there are a number of things that are happening. I think we're getting to that point in life where we are actually losing people. So we are, we are more confronted with a sense of mortality, and yep. whereas up until that point, there's a sense of immortality. So there's that and that sense of, well, time actually is really finite. And if I don't hurry up and do something, I'm going to be stuck in this place forever. And I think to also give credit to the younger generations, I think that there is a lot of what's happening in the world that's having an influence on us that's coming up from the younger generations. They're not willing to just work for a company that has no social purpose and that's not actually doing good in the world and we're not doing something positive for the future. And I think that that's a great lesson that we've learned from the younger generation and it makes you question, well, am I actually doing something that's meaningful, purposeful, 
And am I offering something that is truly a legacy that I'll be proud of? I love that. Having young kids, and particularly my son, Sam, he's 28, but like he... He's very demanding around that stuff now. It's about what he's going to drive yeah. and, and who he's going to work with, but but also who he's going to hang out with. And that includes us as well at times. It's like, you know, we, yeah. he gives us some some lessons. And I think my sense with the younger folk is that they're not waiting for the gold watch anymore. They just like, yes. no, we're we're doing what we do. Whereas we were a bit of we were a bit like the gold, you know, I'll yeah. live my 25 years, I'll go and buy a caravan, go around Australia, come home and die. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because that's what happens. Exactly. You talked before about personal yep. and positional influence. So when I think about the corporate world, I look at it like this. There's a lot of people with positional influence, as in yep. the hierarchy, but I think it's the people with the personal influence who maybe aren't at the higher levels of the hierarchy who get shit done and yep. influence others. So just just talk a little bit about the difference of the two and maybe some of the things that that you've learned from your own experience or working with others that that could help people to to step more into their personal influence and think less about their next job title. Yeah, absolutely. So coming back to my experience of positional influence versus personal influence, like I said, the positional influence, and this applies to many of my clients, the positional influence is you have that influence whilst ever you are in that role or working for that company. And the I don't know if it's a confronting or scary fact is the minute you step out of that position, you won't have that influence. And I've heard that from, like I said, lots of my clients. Uh, I remember one client of mine who he was really uh, in a very high position in the automotive industry over in uh, the Middle East. Like he said, everyone wanted to be his friend. Everyone he was invited to all the events. You know, the media wanted to hear from him. All of these incredible things. The minute he stepped out of that role, nobody. Yep. My dad tells me a story about uh, one of his friends who was very high up in, I think it was Woolworths, and he left the job. And my dad made a point of staying in touch with him. He'd call him, you know, every two weeks or a month. Hey, how are you going? Just checking in. And then it was six or so months later, this gentleman then got a job as the CEO of a massive retail brand here in Australia. And he actually called my dad and said, you know, you were one of the only people that actually took the time to stay in touch and to check in on on how I was going and and what was happening. And that really had an impact on me. So that is just to really sum up what positional influence is and the downsides of if you're just focused on positional influence and what your role is and what you do within that role. To develop personal influence is to then step outside of that and go, and this is where the joy and wonder of LinkedIn and social platforms come in, but also traditional media, speaking, there's a whole bunch of other strategies to deploy. But when you step into personal influence, that's when you're starting to say, okay, who am I? What do I stand for? And what are my areas of personal expertise? And how do I or what do I want to be out in the world representing? And at the beginning of this podcast, we talked about Natalie, who was a client of mine who was on your podcast. Now that's a perfect example of someone who is in a high profile role, 
but recognized that neurodiversity was an area of interest to her and it's where she wanted to develop personal influence and she has a backstory for why it's so important to her. So she went out and she started having conversations, sharing them on LinkedIn and in doing that, and now she was recently invited to go and do a Google think tank, she's creating personal influence outside of her high profile role. So when, and if she decides she wants to step outside of that high profile role, she's still got this personal influence that sits with her wherever she goes. I really do um, applaud um, Nat's courage because of what she is doing. Um, And that's why I wanted to get her on because the other word that came to mind for me, as you were talking, the the word that kept flashing through my mind was was identity and how tied we are to this identity. And look, it's really hard to let go of that because I still have a little bit of what I call after 25 years, corporate identity. And every now and again, it turns up and goes, hey, mate, you should be more professional than what you are or you need to do 7% more revenue yeah. next year. And I'm like, stop for a minute because that's not who I am now. That's not what I stand for and that's not what I'm doing this work for. But identity is going to be like the almost like the gatekeeper, isn't it, to go, no, you need to stay where you are. How do you help people to, to sort of step out of that long-held identity that perhaps – title is is what it's all about but they've lost themselves yeah and look i'm not suggesting that you completely ignore positional influence and if anything i often and always tell my clients use it in every way you can but at the same time develop and establish that personal influence as well and build on that so that you're creating an asset that you get to always keep with you and walk away wherever you go I love that you said that because it's not binary, it's a bit of both. Even in the work that we do today, we still have, there's a positional influence in what we do. A hundred percent. And you want to leverage that as best as possible, but it's really about how do you use that to then have personal influence? I'll tell you a great example of this. I was listening to a podcast with Gary Vaynerchuk and it was with one of the original founders of Netflix, Mark Randolph, and he was being interviewed about his book, That Will Never Work. And he outrightly says he was the one who helped take Netflix from one to 100. And then the CEO today has taken it from 100 to 10,000. But Gary Vaynerchuk basically said, well, you're talking about uh, Netflix, but it's still like, do you think there's a problem with you talking about it, but it's still the original owner? And like he was basically alluding to the fact, well, you took it from one to 100, not from 10 to 10,000. Yep. And Mark Randolph just said, well, at the end of the day, I had to make a decision. What am I going to use that experience for? So he's got this association with this massive brand that he can leverage. And it was his decision on, well, how can I use that for good? Yep. Which he then uses that to then establish personal influence so that he can guide and help more businesses and mentor aspiring entrepreneurs. That's a lovely story. The other, another I word came to mind for me as you were saying that, which is intention. So yes. like positional influence, personal influence, but overlay that with the I word. Intention must be critical here. We can, yes. we can have good intention or we can yep. have not so good intention that's going to impact. How, how do you think that? impacts on whether or not you can do the right thing from, let's say, from a position of, a position of positional influence. Bloody hell. 
And what do you mean having the right intention? Well, well, I, I, if I turn up to something and I walk in and I go, I've got a position of influence. Yeah. Yep. And I can be well-intended with that and I can be helpful with it or I could be yep. harmful with it. When mm-hmm. you see people who maybe go to the dark side, what do you mm. think drives them to be not so well-intended with their positional influence? Well, I think that it's just a case, well, I would hope that it's a lack of awareness yep. and that perhaps power has light and dark to it and when you have that power, it can be intoxicating and it can sometimes be very easy to use it for the wrong things and, and in the wrong ways. And I would hope it's just a lack of awareness that has people do that. You know, I like to give people the benefit of the doubt. And perhaps they're just not thinking long-term enough and that they are really caught up in that. Like you said, they've had so many people blow smoke up their ass and they've got such a big head and they feel like they're completely entitled to that power and they're forgetting the reality that once they step out of that role, they probably won't have that same impact. I love it. Thanks for sharing. Hey, um, for anyone listening at the moment, if you can hear a little buzzsaw in the background, it's because we've got some builders at our house at the moment. (laughs) Um, I've also got four dogs sitting behind me that are being very, very good at the moment. So hopefully the postie doesn't turn up shortly. I'm I'm keen to get some of your tools and tips, some simple and practical ideas. I really got fascinated now about brand and boldness and these things. So what would you say to people who are a little bit reticent to step into their boldness and their courage to really, even though they they know who they want to be and what they stand for, what would be three things that you would, you could share with them to say, this is the starting point for you to be more bold about the brand that you want to build? I always say visibility leads to possibility. So that to me is the greatest incentive for being bold and putting yourself out there is opening yourself up to opportunities that you might not even know existed because you've always relied on your immediate network for those opportunities and you're assuming that people are just going to think of you when an opportunity comes up. But the reality is if you're not taking the steps to actually letting people know you're looking for opportunities, you're open for opportunities, then they potentially will not think of you. So that's the incentive. Visibility leads to possibility. In terms of the steps, my first step is to always start with the end in mind. So you really need to have a clear idea of where you want to go. And there's some interesting work by a gentleman by the name of Dr. Hal Hirschfield, who talks about how your relationship with your future self, the clearer that relationship is, the stronger that relationship is, the more powerful the impact your future self will have on your long-term decision-making today. And from a personal branding perspective, personal branding is not a short-term activity. It's a long-term mindset. So it does take time for you to not only show up and be seen, but for that message to get out there and into the right people and inboxes. So you really need to know, where do I want to go? And you almost need to reverse engineer the process. So okay, I want to be known as X, Y, Z. That's the narrative and the story that I need to be telling today so that I'm positioning myself in a way where people can look at me and go, oh yeah, you know, oh, Mark is open for that opportunity. They're the things that he wants to be doing. 
So I start with the end in mind. And then I always suggest to my clients, I'm always surprised how many people don't have a bio, almost like a blurb on who they are, what they do, what they stand for, and what their story is. Like you said, the first question you asked was, what's your story? So I always recommend to my clients, write down your bio in the third person because the clearer you are on your narrative, what you do, why you do it, how you do it, the easier it will be for you to relay that to other people. So again, they know what opportunities you're looking for. So write it out in the third person. So it's Mark did this, Mark grew up that, and then read it out aloud to see if it actually resonates with you and if you feel it's connecting with who you are and who you want to be now that you're clear on what your future self is. And then share and do it in a way where you're adding value to an audience. So what I mean by that is get on LinkedIn, but when you are on LinkedIn, it doesn't have to be, oh, look at me, look what I'm doing, look what I'm achieving, because that's what turns a lot of people off getting on LinkedIn and sharing. But actually get on LinkedIn and say, okay, this is what I know. This is how I do what I do in my own unique way. And here are the things that I'm going to share with you to help you do whatever you need to do. So really look to add value to an audience because that's the fastest way to develop influence. They are brilliant. Those three things are absolutely brilliant for people to, to pick up and simple and practical as well, which leads me into Thank our you. into the next part of the Structurally Unstructured podcast, which is all <laughs> about my thoughts on complex and complexity complicated and then the sort of the simple stuff. I, I think we spend a lot of time, like the things you just said, yeah. I reckon there'll be people that'll be like, oh shit, it's that, not to um, demean it, but it's that simple. I need yeah. to, I need to do that. And, and they're like, I've been trying to find the silver bullet, the gold nugget, yeah. the thing, because I'm looking yeah. for complexity. If you do think this, and you may not, but my view is that we spend too much time chasing the complicated and, and not going after the simple. Why yeah. do human beings get romanced by complicated and complex? I think it's just a great way to procrastinate. So if it's complicated, then there's more of a chance we'll put it off and we won't do it. Whereas if someone says, here are three simple steps and it's that simple and you just need to have those micro habits and small steps every day to build and to lead you in that direction, it's a lot harder to procrastinate that way. I love it. I, I My facial response, no one will see this because we don't put out the video, <laughs> but when you said procrastinate, I was like, yep, that's that's <laughs> huge because we do, we practice the skillful art of work avoidance. We avoid stuff because there's yeah. always something that's more important at the time. But what's more important than someone building their personal brand? I'm not quite sure. No, exactly. And But we say that what's more important, but it's really scary. Yeah. You know, it took a long time for me to get to the point where I felt comfortable to start shaping and proactively putting my personal brand out there. And I was someone who grew up through the whole idea of individual branding and personal branding, what it took to shape, manage and elevate a brand. So that's me who knows how to do it. So I can imagine for people who actually have no clue at all. It's even more daunting, but it's scary. And I remember the first time I posted a blog and I'm sure all of three people read it. And I honestly had a visceral reaction. I felt like I wanted to throw up. Yeah. 
it was that outside of my comfort zone. And I think a lot of people feel the same. So as much as the steps are simple, so like you said, just writing your bio, that's simple. Sharing on LinkedIn, that's simple, but it's scary. The hard part is hitting the send button. <laughs> I, I can remember I remember reading, and I've, my listeners would have heard this story before. I remember reading an amazing book by a, a guy called Andrew O'Keefe, who's a he, he works in the space of um, in human leadership. Yeah, not the fellow who's on Channel Seven, but another Andrew O'Keefe, New South Wales yeah. based, wrote a book called Hardwired Humans, and I read it. Mm-hmm. And as I was reading it, I'm like, bloody hell, this is just reinforcing a lot of what I do, but giving me so many insights. I wrote him an email to thank yeah. him for the book. And it sat in my outbox uh, for four or five days. I just could not bring myself really? to hit the button. So in the end I did. And I now consider Andrew to be like a good friend and and, and a mentor who helped me That's in my incredible. early days of this just from the fact of I hit the button. That's and incredible. Like I, I just know there are so many stories of that. And you'd, you would hear them in the work you do is that, I just can't hit the button because I'm not quite sure that it's going to be perfect yeah. enough for. Yeah. And what if people think I'm a dickhead? Well, I go, that's okay. Yeah, absolutely. And the reality is, and this is a psychological phenomenon called the spotlight effect. I'm sure you've heard of it. We think everyone's thinking about us, looking at us, talking about us. But they're not, they are thinking looking and talking about themselves. So yes, they might look at your post, if it's a post or your article, and they might contemplate and read it for three seconds. And yeah, they might judge it, but it's literally three seconds and then it's done. They're on with their day. They're doing their thing. They're living their life. So when you put it in that perspective, it takes the pressure off because you're the only one that's in your head thinking about yourself for as long as you are. Everyone else is out there thinking about themselves and what other people are thinking of them. So if we're all doing that, then collectively, no one's really thinking about anyone other than themselves. <laughs> <laughs> what, a, what a lovely way to put it. Hey, yeah. um, just to wrap it up, where can the listeners find you? Obviously, LinkedIn is is one place yes. to connect on LinkedIn. You have some, you you do some amazing things. I love the way that you, you've got that same thing. You're sitting there and you've got yeah. your little message on the board, the, the consistency in, and those messages are bloody incredible, by the way. So there's there's Thank LinkedIn. You. Where else can people find you if they want to reach My out? My website, which is just carlylion.com and Instagram, which is carly underscore lion. Fantastic. Hey, um, I thought this would be pretty cool because I've got you on and you were an open book right from the start and and you've shared so many great things, your own personal stories where it's like, hey, I wasn't good at this either and I'm still getting better at it, but I just love your vulnerability. I love your leadership there and um, it's been so good to have you on the podcast. Thank Thank you. you. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much. I loved it when she talked about the spotlight effect at the end when Carly mentioned this idea that uh, we think everyone's got the spotlight on us. Well, guess what, folks? When you speak to a personal branding expert who's been in this space for a long time and worked with some very, very big names, um, we are actually all thinking about ourselves. So those people aren't thinking about you, they're thinking more about themselves. So don't get too caught up in what other people are thinking about you. There are amazingly simple and practical tools and tips on that brand piece, which was, you know, start with the end in mind, have a bio, a blurb written in the third person and share it and add value to others. And visibility leads to possibility. That one is so important. This idea that 
if you're not being seen, you're going to miss out on some opportunities and some possibilities that can come your way. And I think this is a big one that holds people back. So that was incredible. Thinking about who am I? What do I stand for? What's my purpose? I loved how open Carly was to share about her backstory, how she grew up, expelled from a exclusive school in year 10, um, Siggy's for breakfast, trying to really then have a conversation about, is that really who I want to be? Rebellious, you know, found her way into what she does today through, you know, doing some work on self and some very challenging work by the sound of it. And then starting up a business and, and becoming very, very successful to the point where she's managing some of the biggest names in the world, but then working out that perhaps that she got a bit caught up in her own bullshit, as she said, and lost her way a little bit there. And, and what she shared today about being like conditionally or unconditionally, the differences that that brings, and also the insights on the differences between personal and positional influence, and also how they are important, both of them, but we don't want to get too caught up in the positional influence, particularly if we're doing it with bad intent. As Carly said as well, just reach out to her on LinkedIn and you know connect with her. Uh, check out her website and the great work that she's doing. If you love this one, why not rate it five stars? Leave us a little comment about what you loved about it. And if you liked it and you know anyone who could do with a bit of personal branding and maybe forgetting about the spotlight effect, share it with them. But until next time, keep it simple, keep it practical, and keep it human. Bye for now.